Hello, welcome back to the New History Podcast. We are on episode six. My name's Alex, and I'm joined by Lily, as usual. Hey. And returning again, we've got James. Hi. Today, we're going to talk about the lovely topic of warfare. What do we all think about warfare? Well, James is the expert, so maybe he should clarify some terminology, first of all. <laughs> what do we actually uh, mean by warfare, James? Well, it, it's it's still a kind of debated topic aside, but warfare kind of means um, it's fighting with a purpose, in a way. It's fighting with a direct aim. Um, mm. And it's... So some people call it professional fighting or professional raiding, and that's kind of what it what it evolved. That seems to be what it evolved from. Yeah. Um, was it, it? It's not just it's not just a few people from one settlement trying to quickly and, if necessarily, violently try and take the resources of another one or anything. It, it's <clears throat> warfare seems to be um, its own profession when it comes about <clears throat> with um, new technology. And people who are, in in a way, people the, the emergence of warriors, the emergence of soldiers. Um, it's an elite, right? As a as a class, in a way. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, yeah, and it coincides. War coincides with what seems to be uh, the the first emergence of actual, um, yeah, a, a class society, social stratas, um, where the the warriors tend to be the some of the potentially some of the most powerful or some of the most wealthy um of that of that society mm. um so there's, there's there's no one clear obviously it has a it has a definition in the things like the dictionary but there's no kind of one clear um element to it um yeah. it has no kind of it has no set date that right from this date everyone's now doing war and not any anything any raiding mm -hmm. um but it mostly seems to come about from uh the bronze age uh, about probably from about the the middle middle bronze age or so that's when the the earliest kind of ideas of warfare start start sprouting from okay beforehand oh so were you going to say something well yeah if you're talking about before that i guess there can be arguments made for what can be considered a battle or you know the an aspect of warfare happening but i guess you might say this is more sort of like raiding things like that. It's kind yeah, of hard it, to define, isn't it? It it is. It's it's very hard. It's very hard to define. Um, and you're exa exactly right. But you could you could look at a raiding and a battle and say, well, what's the difference? It still involves mm. human conflict. It's still one person potentially fighting against against another one. Um, a battle tends to be uh, an organised event on both sides. So mm. both sides um, attend a specific location with the intention of nothing more but fighting each other with one side hopefully becoming becoming the winner being able mm. to beat being able to beat the other guy so battles battles and warfare tend to have a bit more organization to them i guess is 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 the main is the main essence of it um raiding yeah. is kind of out of a uh can be quite sporadic necessities kind of thing um you can mm -hmm. probably predict when raiding would would happen um yeah yeah, I mean, there was no consent in raiding, right? So I suspect that also counts. You know, a battle is something that you arrange. Raiding could just be because I decided, I don't know, I don't like you or your resources are yeah. convenient. I'm just going to go and do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. a, battle, a battle wasn't, yeah, a battle's not necessarily um, 
battles can happen completely by accident um and they're often yeah. they're often when one side is starting to run out of resources and they think oh i have to i'm gonna have to fight the other side um mm. battle, battles are very battles are really interesting in themselves because they, they they have a huge there's a huge shift in them over over um over the over the course of history and where they where they tend to go from one decisive day um and whoever loses has effectively lost the war um when the romans come about they completely turn that on on its head uh through through their through their kind of military strategies and their their, their different uh martial organization they completely turn that on the head romans actually didn't want to they almost see a battle as a secondary thing that's not mm. the main aim whereas beforehand to decide something you may um actually want to have a um if you're invading somewhere you may want to have a, a specific battle with that army in the field to decide mm. um but yeah you're absolutely right beforehand you could see things as raiding and that's what that's what seems to be um very he- very heavily indicated and implied with with periods such as um the ne- neolithic age or, or the uh um, yeah. Upper age. Um, I guess it, are... it, you can kind of get that blurry line though, where I can't think of any specific examples, but you know, where where raiding can kind of escalate, and then you know the defenders start kind of organising as well, and you do end up with kind of a battle coming yeah. out of raiding. Yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah, exactly right. And it's, it's it's during the Neolithic period where we start to see. Um, communities start to develop on top of hills and we actually start mm. seeing very early signs of um hill fortifications uh, yeah. i think like trenches and 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 um dikes and ramparts and and um it's a sign that people are starting to see they, they, they're, they're starting to react now to this constant to, to a potentially constant threat of being attacked and they're mm. now starting to take um measures against it um so the presence of hill forts and the fact that people would put their time and resources into constructing something like this implies mm. that um neighbors uh regional societies are probably becoming fairly more violent with each other and they're finding more ways to be more efficiently violent with each other as well yeah or related to that i i was looking at something recently where there's um there are these sites in, I believe, some of the most notable ones are like in Ukraine, of uh, these huge sites of of buildings which were kind of considered to be cities, but some people also consider they're way too big for any, you know, in the Stone Age for them to have been permanently populated. But essentially, these big kind of rings of buildings that kind of look defensive. Um, and potentially were places where people went when they wanted to defend from yeah. other people, um, especially in a period when uh, I think the climate would have been putting more pressure on resources and things like that. Yes, uh, so, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's exactly um, right. And it's it's a, there's a similar thing happening in um, in uh, Europe, north north northwest Europe, particularly in Britain, because you do see these um, hill forts. Um, particularly the most famous ones, obviously from the Iron Age, things like Hod Hill, um, Maiden's Castle. Um, mm. But these aren't; these weren't necessarily 
inhabited all year all year round these, these were almost like defensive refuges that people would would, would go to in times of yeah. uh war or severe raiding or invasions um one reason why the romans ended up taking over so many hill forts um as as the sources say um uh, because the invasion was quite well known and, and it, news had traveled quickly mm. and people had time to gather at the at these massive hill forts in an attempt to try and defend themselves and fend, fend off the invaders um yeah the yeah um yeah it's it's very likely that that there's very there's very little evidence to show that in the Olympic times there were major major kind of cities as such even in the even in the iron age um mm. large settlements don't really come about until uh until the late the late iron age mostly and that's normally out of yeah. some um there's some exceptions of course like in uh like Mesopotamia and stuff like that, but oh yeah, 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 yeah. yes, um, yeah, no, Europe, yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah, Mesopotamia, um, <clears throat> Mesopotamia does, um, does does prove an exa- uh, an exception. Of course, you've got the Greek states and everything else. Um, yeah. I, 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 my, 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 my area of this is kind of like northwestern Europe and, and yeah, and same with me, yeah. Really, yeah, yeah. Sorry, everyone, um, we're very Eurocentric in some ways. <laughs> Playing our education system. We yeah. will we will um, be moving to other parts of the world, but you know, yeah. we're we're getting with yeah. some of the basics first. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Um so yeah, so um Though actually, as I as I say that, I just remembered um not speaking about Europe, some of the um you know, you talk about these sort of large confrontations between people and whatnot, and in a way I suspect you know, this is really more related towards the Bronze Age, Iron Age, and the development of metallurgy, but we have some um, some um, cave art that suggests there may have been, although very sporadic, this type of you know big arm conflict. But the vast majority of the time, we see this happening with things like bows and arrows a lot of the time, which mm. kind of makes me think, or maybe spears, um, which kind of makes me think maybe it wasn't as much you know the same concept of warfare as we see it, just a huge, massive, violent conflict with whatever yeah. tools they had at hand, rather than specifically developing strategic, uh, you know, enclaves and, you know, weaponry and armor and things like that for the purpose of fighting each other off. Like, I can think yeah, of a just few just adapting examples. their hunting equipment, basically. Yeah, like, for example, there is this, because um, it's funny, right? Because in, in cave art, we don't have a lot of depictions of you know, uh, anthropo- yeah, of people in general. Um, but there is one. Um, oh God, where is it? It's in Spain. I want to say it's in Valencia. Uh, yes, <laughs> it is. It is in Valencia. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's a um, it's this painting in the um, in a cave in Morella de Bella, de Bella, um, and it just depicts this just bunch of men with bows and some of them are sort of on the floor seemingly receiving these arrows into the body and whatnot and some others are actively um shooting at them um, or mm. it looks like they are actively shooting at them and you know it's 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 a bit funny sometimes with uh, prehistoric depictions to find out what there is but yeah the the name of the place is Coba del Rure in, in Castellón in, in Valencia and it's quite one of the sort of more interesting examples of that um but you know we, we i think i know of a few sort of very early massacres of people 
um, mm. where you cannot explain so many people dying in one go in any other way, shape or form than just because there was some form of battle because they have, you know, the skeletal remains show very clearly that there was damage from weapons themselves. And those are actually not from Europe, which is the reason why I wanted to get to this. They're actually from um, Africa, I believe. Mm -hmm. Let me just double check that. Um, yes, from the north of Sudan, the Natufians against the Kadan culture. I think there was, a, when they found the cemetery, it's like over 10,000 um, years old, nearly 14,000, I believe. And like, are pretty much every single skeleton had marks of arrowheads, arrowheads actually embedded into the skeleton itself, things like that. Mm. So, you know, that wouldn't just happen because of some random stuff. It would be clearly some form of massacre. But then again, Interesting. whether it was just some form of random event or an actual organized war or whatever you want to call it, it's difficult to tell. Yeah, exactly. That's another thing where it's it's like, you know, you could, especially when you're just looking at archaeologically, unless, unless someone had somehow back then written down why this happened or, or who did it, then you kind of can't be sure. Like it, something like that, you could just call a massacre rather than a battle, Yeah, I suppose, yeah, because exactly. it's just one side decides we're going to go kill these people too. Yeah, and, and it's not much of a battle if the other side isn't going to fight. And then the other side might fight back, but just in a self-defense kind of way, and that's less organized on their part. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and to, to, to build on that, um, there's obviously a lot of work that's still being done into battle mechanics and how battles played out, but what's, what seems to be a, a growing theory and is becoming more and more agreed is that actually the battles themselves were, were quite possibly not very um, bloody initially and, and maybe not even taking that high a death toll, but it's the events mm -hmm. after the battle when one side has actually started running away because they yeah. know that they're losing, they don't want to die, and they start running away, and actually, the majority of deaths come through the route, the, the 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 routing of the enemy army, yeah, and the aftermath of it. So, whether you decide to execute any prisoners themselves, or you take some of the slaves, whatever, mm. it is interesting. Yeah, once you get to the point where you know armies are a more thought about thing, you know, thing that you start being more well trained, more well equipped with things that are more efficient at killing. Um, then I guess you start seeing a lot more death because, yeah, you know, people are more disciplined to to fight longer rather than just I guess earlier on. It would yeah. be kind of a bit more natural to just fight for a bit. We're clearly losing. We'll run away. Um, just just like what happens with a lot of animals when they're competing over resources as well. Yes, kind of so it seems more of the natural way of things. Yeah, exactly right. Particularly if you don't have a a personal stake in why you're why you're fighting. You know, it's often the saying that the rich start the wars and the poor do the do the dying. Mm. Um, you might you're not. It's an inter, It's 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 an interesting concept that's kind of being developed at the moment, and it's the fact that you you're not necessarily fighting to kill the other person, but you're fighting to stay alive. Yeah, on an indiv individual level. So yeah. Mate, mate, yeah. Do, yeah, yeah. So you're, yeah, um, and it's 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 what a lot of studies are looking at now is is the individual themselves fighting, and realistically, mm -hmm. you don't care whether you kill the guy in front of you or not, as mm -hmm. long as you win the battle and you don't end up dying yourself. Once that guy, once that guy starts running away, then 
you might get a bit more brave and start oh yeah fine now i'll have a go at him mm. you see you do see that sort of thing expressed by soldiers in the in the modern day where a lot of them do say i'm you know i'm going over there to war for my comrades you know for for my brothers in arms i'm going there to so we can all protect each other stay together you know that sort of thing rather than being you know you will get some saying this but rather than just going over there because we want to kill the enemy it's more i want to you know i'm a soldier to protect my other soldiers and it's kind of kind of a weird thing that doesn't make a lot of sense in the grand scheme of things but on an individual level that's that's how you end up seeing it i suppose a lot of the time yeah yes and and there have been some studies i think i think they've kind of been a bit um contentious but there have been some studies into so into um the combat of world war Two, and mm. how many and how um uh certain battles actually didn't certain conflicts didn't actually have a high a massive high death roll or, or that individuals weren't actually looking to kill the enemy they were just in in a way you'd, you'd be hiding behind a brick wall and instead of actually kind of aiming with your gun you just put it over the wall start spurting a little bit and, and hide again you don't want to kill the enemy you just want to make sure you yeah. come out of it alive you just want them to go away yeah preferably victorious um yeah. even you know even even victor even just being alive will take precedence over victorious yeah um so there's it, always it, going to be exceptions oh there's always going to be exceptions you will you will have the people that are just generally wanting to 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 kill people yeah, or well, just believe in in believe in their country or their cause or whatever enough to actually be motivated to go further. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but it is it is um, it is it is interesting in, in in terms of the concept of of war and 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 how we how we see it. Uh, but just to go with just to go with something else that you were um, talking about in, in terms of that. The early the early days of war nobody really had you know nothing was really written down um it's where works such as homer actually come into uh come into play um mm-hmm. that he's obviously talking of the trojan war um in his in his iliad but what a lot of what he is describing a lot of the battle scenes he's he's describing uh, actually, in in different ways, they actually um, correlate quite well with the archaeological record from that pe- from from the period. So mm, yeah. the, the period that Homer's describing is the Bronze Age, and in fact, Troy or Ilium uh, has has been discovered. Yeah. We, we know we know of a city that's almost in the exact place that Homer is describing, um, and it was discovered in the. Um, the 19th century, I believe. Mm. Um, it was just overlooked. It it, it yeah. was, but it has been it has been um, discovered, and it, it's it's okay. There's always some doubt, but it has been kind of universally agreed. But yeah, this is likely to be. Yeah. Troy, if not, it's a huge coincidence. Right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and and particularly huge because the site is massive. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's absolutely huge. The conflict itself doesn't seem to be the result of any mass. Uh, Greek army that sailed over. In fact, some people have put it to um, local local tribes raiding. Um, is it one, uh, some arguments put it to the Hittites? Is it sort of linked into the idea of the Bronze Age collapse? I can't can't remember. It, um, I don't think it is. No, I think the Bronze Age no. collapse was more around my, was more around um, 
the the Aegean. Elium is actually quite it's 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 fairly inland a bit. It's not it's not that close to, mm. to the. Uh, mm. Yeah, not generally. like what you mostly see with depictions of Troy being no. next to the beach or whatever. No, <laughs> conveniently there, barely, so you can see all the ships coming in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he, what, what, but what he's describing is it's it seems to be quite. Um, it seems to reflect actual Bronze Age fighting and, and possible start, possible warfare style, um, quite well. He, he's obviously mm. he's obviously. Um, um, inferring and um, imprinting his own contemporary style of mm. warfare into the um, into the Iliad, but yeah, even, that happens even a lot. in Homer, he's not living during classical Greece where you've got the mass ranks of phalanx hitting each other. He's 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 in the period of what's called archaic Greece, and that's still fairly. That period is is still uh, is still clouded a little bit, and and it's not entirely sure what their style of of combat was, um, but what the archaic style seems to show a, a little bit of a of a mixture. There is some development towards um, potential um, kind of uh, hoplite hoplite style fighting. Um, but what he's what he's imprinting into the in the Iliad possibly isn't actually that far from what possibly was happening there at during the Middle Bronze Age. Um, he, he, he loves talking about the heroes being in chariots, and we know that chariot warfare in that in that period in the in the area was was quite prevalent. But the idea of dueling as well, and he really puts emphasis on on the on the characters dueling with with each other. Um, even in the midst of a battle, the the, the, the characters will always find themselves. Um, and if you if you take out the romanticism of it, these are the social elites individuals who arguably have the best armor and the best weapons who are searching for each other to fight and it's quite often that once these individuals have fought the battle may end or one side will gain so much more um uh confidence and and, and their morale increased so much more than had who may have had their elite individual killed um and and this and this does rem and this does um this does kind of link with with Bronze Age style, potential style in a way, because in the Bronze Age you have the development of the sword. And yeah. The sword is such an is obviously now is you know it's it's such a staple of warfare and, and martial power. You know even today we have the royals who probably don't even know how to hold a sword properly, but they always have one by their belt. It's still such a uh, an, an iconic um, image of power and and strength. And this, this the sword appears to develop during the Bronze Age. Obviously, it, it the style seemed to develop originally in the in the East, um, around the, around the Middle Eastern area, and, and um, eventually travel into into Europe and, and go further further west. <clears throat> but the sword has no practical hunting capability. You know, we, we were talking about it, we were talking about. Um, the fact that early early styles of fighting was using weapons which have been uh, mostly mostly hunting tools that have now been turned into weapons to fight humans with instead of hunting animals. The sword mm. has no real capability of, of of doing any practical hunting. Realistically, you mm. can't throw it. You have to get close to the ant. You know, if you're trying to hunt a a boar, a beauty about a spear is that you can at least keep a little bit of distance away. With a mm. sword, you've got to get in close. 
Um, I suppose it is kind of one of those things that's kind of unclear as to how the sword really developed, isn't it? Because it is. It's it's still you can develop uh, out of making knives longer and longer, and you know a knife is an essential thing for almost everything. Um, but it's just interesting, you know. Obviously, people would have fought and killed with knives before swords were around. Hmm. But the idea of making that knife bigger to make it easier to kill someone with, like, yeah, it's it's hard to know when that starts and when you start actually classifying it as this is primarily a weapon and no longer a tool. Yeah, no, ex- exactly. The, the, the earliest style swords that seem to come about, and I'll, I'll put swords in inverted comma kind of, uh, kind of thing, are, are, are what are called... Um, Bronze Age rapiers and carp tongue mm. swords. These are quite narrow um, and fairly short, aren't they? They are, yeah. They're, they're not compared to what we think of a sword now. Yeah, no, yeah. Particularly, particularly what we even something like the rapier. You might you might have a, a modern image of a of a rapier sword and a, a very mm. fine but long but long blade. Um, the, these are very these are very short. Yeah, um, they're just called that because sorry. they're narrower, pretty much, isn't it? Yes, yeah. It's just a modern but what it, it, yeah, no, it is. It, it's it, it, it's uh, it's even something like pretty much everything. Like everything we have for, for modern, yeah objects from this time is going to be a modern term. Yeah, yeah it, it, exactly. Or even where they're located, they're located yeah. in uh, the modern day name for the for the location rather than yeah. uh, its ancient name or or medieval name. That um, does cause some confusion sometimes, but it, yes, it, it's it can. Actually. Yeah, it's a beauty of archaeology. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a ally and a hindrance. Um, but what what's more, but kind of what 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 the sword does is, to me, what's more important than 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 saying, okay, this is when this item physically appears, is actually what the sword symbolizes, and and mm-hmm. what the sword can um, can can represent. And having such a short blade basically means that if you want to hit someone. You've got to get close to them. You you've got to have an actual fight with that person to hit them with a sword. And beforehand, everything, every uh, all the evidence points to a very long range form of, of fighting. So um, in the Neolithic, in the Neolithic time, for instance, um, arrowheads are really common, and, and in places like Hambledon Hill um, in Britain and, and Cardiff. They're they're found they're found in their in their hundreds, sometimes mm. even thousands. And they they seem to be a very long. If, you, if you're going to fight someone, you're going to do it from a distance to avoid any risk of obviously getting in combat and getting beaten to death. Um, you want to ideally try and try and shoot them from afar. But mm. what the sword symbolises is a shift in that. In that now you've got people that are developing this item this object this technology with the specific intent of putting themselves in more danger and and actively showing that they are wanting to fight someone head to head and what this might what this might represent is a change in ethos and actually the dawn of the warrior code or the code of honor of of the the, the idea of bravery and then that if you're going to meet someone you're going to meet someone face on and hit them not turn, yeah. don't turn your back, and uh, the sword, the sword, very, quite possibly, very shows that actually now, what what is what what's starting to appear is this warrior mentality. Yeah, so it is interesting to think how, 
you know people always talk about you know the sword as a symbol um of of you know later on things things like chivalry and of you know being rich and powerful but pretty much early on it seems like it probably had sort of a similar weight to it as well um considering how unique it is compared to other weapons which you know come out of hunting and things like that the, mm-hmm. the sword being almost solely for that purpose and kind of if someone's got a sword you know that person in theory is prepared to get face to face with someone um exactly and again what i was yeah. saying about the the bronze age starting to show uh, <clears throat> quite strong signs of social strata appearing is that the sword again there's a lot of time that goes into the making a sword particularly out of bronze mm. there's a lot of resources to go into it we i'm not well, once you have extensive metal working in general yeah you you end up having to have specialized oh know, yes, people, yeah especially yeah, so yeah and but, that is helped again, by civilization oh yeah yeah no exactly but there's also a cost element in it as well i was going to um, say you know from this for you from this point of view, and particularly that's the reason why earlier on I said, you know, about the the status and the and the social class side of things, because I think this is true of history overall, that when you have such a re resourceful in the sense of requiring resources um element like war, it's gonna have an impact in the general fabric of society. So yeah. the the economic impact of this, and I think it's also just in general the economic impact of war. <clears throat> mm. From what you guys are saying, obviously, as we all know, I'm not I'm not a warfare historian, <laughs> but uh, from an economic point of view, from a social point of view, it makes sense that it is you know when metallurgy develops properly and these resources are also um, easily available, that this new class you know also happens. Like you know what was before the chicken or the egg is the Definitely. need of um, you know, fighting and defending yourself against the others, what tells you I need better resources, I need to find something else, or is the discovery of something more durable and that you can work with and that can actually open these new avenues for conquest and war, what actually makes it. So that's the reason why when I was, you know, when, when we were trying to define warfare, I was saying, you know, metallurgy specifically and the composition of mm. weapons and armors, because, you know, even, even, later on in history it is such a crucial aspect of how is your warfare gonna develop and if you have the resources that's great but if not um you're you're gonna suffer and i think it's also the reason why manpower is important you know back in prehistoric times and even in the neolithic and the early stages of the calcolithic you know up until the neolithic revolution no society would have been dumb enough, or at least we hope, and, and the evidence that we have seemed to suggest that because there was plenty of land and people were sort of just moving about and there wasn't mm. as many of us around, there was not such a need of conflict because we weren't settled. And because we weren't settled, we didn't get comfortable, we didn't develop as much, we didn't have as many needs, demands, and requirements. So mm. obviously, if at any point you had to encounter people, you wouldn't want to face them, you know, close necessarily because you know chances of dying are, are are great so that's reason perhaps why some distance weapons may be a bit more convenient i don't know just thinking from yeah. a resource point of view yeah. um you know you have to value the human element with one guy and a bow you potentially can kill more people than one guy with a sword in close combat just in terms of you know calibrating the value of a human life so i think it could be the same as we move forwards during the the bronze age and the iron age these societies have now established they also have 
without the lack of a better word, more disposable humans. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, this it's the this same is, pattern throughout history, even exactly, this, isn't it? you know, yeah. it's it's how how it is. So if you have more disposable humans and you have more disposable resources that you can turn into better weapons, you're obviously going to want or some people may want to put that into use for for either their defense or their gain from a different point of view. So, yeah, the economic impact of this, not not just from the resource point of view, but from the human impact and the human value point of view, I think is very important into defining what actually makes warfare. Because if you yeah. don't have people to spare, you're not going to send them into an open battle. It, exactly. it would be suicide, essentially. Yeah, apart from, you know, like like we mentioned with the raids and things like that, yeah, that would be probably by desperation. Yeah. But then again, you're causing a raid, not an open battle, which is slightly different, has different rules. Yeah. And, you know, Even if it escalates, you can kind of see exactly. how that just happens. Whereas once we get to this sort of period we're talking about, the, the you know, manufacturing of, of these, you know, weapons and armor and things uh, shows kind of a different intent um, going forward, doesn't it? Rather than just battles or other types of conflict happening just through desperation or necessity or whatever where we're looking at kind of an intention for you know we are going to prepare for war or or something like that yeah yeah and, and you well you start seeing a you start seeing a rat race mm-hmm. almost during this period so now it's not just a case of okay we've all got uh bows and arrows and they kind of let's see what happens if you've got one side that can access this technology um more easily than the other side, um, and they're going to start producing better weapons, but also better um, armor. Yeah. Um, and if, if and if that if that power um, can gain hegemony over that, then a, a neighboring side might think, oh well, you know, we don't want they they're obviously becoming more powerful because of this because of their um, intimidation factor as well. You they mm. might then start thinking, okay, well we're gonna make we're gonna start making better swords or we're gonna start making better shields or spears. So you you you, you quite possibly all, all, all see a very early form of um uh the arms industry. Arms. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Arms. yeah, I mean as as soon as there's any sort of new technology appearing, people are gonna start copying or sharing. Um but I guess once it's it's related to an idea of, of weapons that are used for killing other people then there's going to be even more motivation to look at that and think oh we'd better you know keep up um otherwise yeah. we'll get stomped on um yes. yeah yes exactly exactly right but um, yeah I, I wanted to actually mention something before we move on um just kind of the the idea of the chicken and the egg thing that lily mentioned it is it is kind of interesting when you think about this you know very early period once you know civilization um however we might define that is kind of a new idea it is kind of interesting to think about how it is sort of all intertwined intertwined the idea of being settled and and forming you know larger communities and population increasing um but also you have the idea of like a class structure as well you kind of need all of that for warfare to take place but you also kind of need in a way you need warfare or at least violence a lot of the time for a class structure to exist it seems to me anyway it is kind of unclear how 
how happy the average person was about the first kings appearing you know i'm sure it varied um but yeah, yeah. the idea of of people ruling by might uh, or by oppression of other people you know obviously there's always going to be upsides and downsides of everything in in human history when things develop but um it's kind of interesting how it's kind of hard to pick apart how how intertwined it all is in mm. how civilization and warfare and class structures it's kind of hard to figure out where where it all starts or it's just i guess in different places at different times different elements of this will come together until it really just you know the the ball starts rolling and we get into proper warfare proper civilization you know yeah. the idea of empires eventually yeah no and, and, and exactly right and it, I, I i see it as being too complicated to be able to um, be given any any Central. one answer as to what came first. Uh, there's mm. so many there's so many different different factors, um, and of course there's you know humans there's psychological factors in it mm. in it as well. You know we 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 often respect our best best fighters. Um, mm. You know if you look at today's combat sports, we we idealize mm. people like the UFC fighters and boxers. So if you do have someone that's managed to prove himself to be a good fighter, what's to say that um, you know, yeah. they, they thought, well, he's he's you know he's he's the biggest and the strongest. Again, we're going back to we're going back to almost our primordial instincts in this sense. You know, the mm. bigger the alpha, the alpha is going to is going to lead us for that for that reason. But then that's yeah, then that's also linked in with you know the ideas of I don't know nationalism or something like that. The, you know, the ideas of that's our that's our guy doing that. Um, and obviously, before that happens, you need to actually have the idea of a nation or a, a state or, yeah. or a or large just, enough well, yeah, community just, uh, just a community um yeah would, would be enough and no yeah well possibly not even a community just a family yeah just a family yeah, of course yeah. of um we right you know you you have two families that are possibly saying it's better if we work together okay who's gonna kind of be in charge and say right you do this you do that i don't know okay well let's have our sons have a fight yeah, yeah strongest. Yeah, but then I guess when when you start making things larger and you start, you know, having the first cities and states and 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 all of that, how much of that is is done through force? Uh, you know, having to force people together, and then eventually they start seeing themselves as part of this larger group. Um, yes, or do yeah, they resist yeah. that or? Yeah. yeah, no, it, 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 exactly. Um, that is a big part of kind of like nation building, isn't it? About kind of forcefully homogenizing different little groups within it. Um, it is, and and often it's as a result of um, agricultural necessities. Yeah, or, or, or it's it's as as Lily was saying, it's that element of we don't have you don't have to be on the move anymore. There is a reliable source of food here. You know, you yeah. haven't got to be traveling anymore to try and find your food. It's 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 here now. Obviously, then it becomes okay. Well, how do you get? How do you get somebody that comes to the top of the society from that? And hmm. it's and again, it's it's very likely. It's, it's very tricky. Been, thing. It may have been so. Yeah, maybe been someone who just had a very witty mind at the time and thought, yeah, to, yeah, to try and capitalize on this. It's uh, we are kind of I guess slightly going off topic from just warfare. We are a little bit, yeah. About it, class it, in general. It's so, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. But again, it's it's, it's just how intertwined it is. Yeah. Well, if I can, if I can bring it back, um, if we jump yeah. forward a little bit to 
um, things like classical, uh, we, we look forward to like, we go forward to things like the fifth century onwards, and we're mm. looking at classical Greece, um, and, and even further into the, Ro into the Roman period. Um, war and, and, um, and um, uh, social, social classes are becoming so interlinked. I mean, one, one mm. obvious example from Greece is Sparta. Yeah. Um, the idea that you, 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 you belong to the state in mm -hmm. a way. You, there is no kind of freedom of, oh, it might be this or that. You belong to the state. If you are Spartan, um, you, you, or you're are, only you Spartan are, if you're a warrior. Well, really. yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. To, to be, to be, um, to be a warrior, you have to be a Spartan. And to be a Spartan, you have to be a, a warrior. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's, it's such a, uh, martial indoctrination that doesn't that hasn't really seemed to appear before um, and it, it, it's it was normally in Greece no other state was was really like it um, mm. in that in that sense you, there were um, there, there were places that, that put more emphasis on 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 um, slightly more emphasis on kind of material uh, or, or martial Practice and preparation. Thebes is, mm. is, is normally a, a normally a good example, but no 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 state was kind of saying you are you you exist only to fight for us and die. Mm. Um, and you have the you have a wonderful poem from uh, Tateus who talks about how wonderful it is to die in your prime of life, mm. and in those days your prime of life was effectively nineteen, mm. eighteen yeah. nineteen years or so, and it was an honour to die for Sparta. The main thing was, as long as you died with the spear wound in your front and not your back, mm -hmm. you, if there was a if there was an entry, if there was a spear wound between your shoulders, um, then you you and your family could just uh, would would just be um, you could be exiled or so, or you would definitely be kind of socially ostracized. Mm. Um, I suppose it is. It is similar to what you'll see, you know, in various other like religions and and other kind of just cultural ideas of of honor or or whatever you, you want to call it. Um, but it, yes. it is interesting to think about why why Sparta ended up the way it is, um, or the way it was. Um, <laughs> the way it is. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's an, that's another big question and. To be honest, early early Spartan society and the development of this martial state is 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 a very interesting topic in itself, and it's probably worth a. a I don't really know on. anything about it to be honest. I know about Sparta, but about early on, about the, how that happened. You know, obviously pre before this period, there was always you know a lot of warfare yeah, well, going it, on in that part it, of the world. But how Sparta itself it is so specific in that it's a very martial society, and yeah. if you look at other examples, like I guess later at the Romans. It kind of becomes quite martial. Some people say because of you know outside threats early on in their history, kind of kind of cementing that idea that they need to be martially strong, and then they end up going to attack is the is the best form of defense. And then, oops, we've got an empire. But um, how does how does Sparta get to their very unique sort of focus on on just militarism? It it. Well, again, it, it, there's, there's no simple, simple answer. The ancient sources refer to a guy called Lycurgus, who mm. was a king of Sparta, and he reformed Sparta completely into the into the Sparta that's 
become so famous through the through the fifth century. He introduces things like the agogi. He reforms the the army. He introduces the, he introduces um, political councils such as the ephors and the uh, and the garcia, mm. um, which is the, the council of elders. Um, it's very likely there was no individual called Lycurgus who ever existed, and that these reforms did, um, these changes did come about uh, gradually and and possibly changes out of necessity. Um, and mm-hmm. it it could be quite it could be quite easily that we the, the city states were always fighting each other. Yeah, Greece is a very mountainous region. It's not exactly the best mm-hmm. agricultural land you can you can get. Um, and with with expanding populations, um, arable sites were becoming uh, fewer and fewer, and conflicts were inevitably going to be. And it could be that, that Sparta did lose a fair few times to her neighbours. She's in a, the Peloponnese, mm. scattered by loads of different states, and she's got this famous Sparta has this famous rivalry of Argos. Mm. Um, mm. And it could be that Sparta lost to its neighbours and. Each time, the people were thinking, well, the, the, the leading council, leading men were thinking, well, okay, let's, let's try this differently. And it could mm. be it came, it came about out of, um, out, 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 of, out of trial and error. Could it also be a, a subject of, again, um, thinking about the, the human society, the human resources, and the very, well, not very unique, but certainly unique kind of society of, of the polis, where, in a way, the different polis had something going for themselves, you know, whether it was resources or environmental factors or whatever. Maybe Sparta just in so many other ways draw the short straw. And, you know, Mm. this is also the period where a lot of the other polis are, um, well, without wanting to use, you know, words that are anachronistic, but perhaps um, expanding or developing in a way that we could consider a golden age. Certainly for Athens, we could, you know, say yeah. some about that and some of the others. So perhaps that very, you know, that very feeling of thinking, well, you know, what what is it that we have? What is it that we have to offer? What is it that is going to make us us and them them that, uh, you know, creates this need of, okay, um, enough of what we've been trying so far is not working. Let's, mm. let's, let's do something that it's, you know, an authentic Spartan trademark. And again, that sort of idea of nationalism, I guess, mm. comes from that, you know. Interesting. Yeah. I guess that you could say they're almost compensating for something. Like if there's a particularly violent man, you think, well, he's compensating for something, you know, maybe Sparta's just doing that on a, on like a national level. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, Sparta's got a quite an imperialistic history in itself as well. I mean, obviously it, it, it took over um, a, a, a neighboring state um called the uh called helot mm. and they enslaved the entire population and that's why you have the helot slaves and these were the people yeah that, and there's just a very sort of clear social strata there between being well, actually was, being a spartan citizen you have to essentially was, be the warrior and then the helots it, it, do everything else well yeah and it was but it was, and it was the helot slaves that enabled sparta to focus so much on, on something else on, yeah. on 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 their on their martial status yeah. because, because their citizens didn't have to go out and tend the fields they didn't have to do this or that you had this huge population yeah. of helots and the spartans were scared of the helots um they, yeah. they, they 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 knew 
that this was a dangerous thing and and you had an annual culling of helot slaves and and you could you could legally kill wow. you, you could legally kill them if you if you wanted to there was um there there you know the spartans they, they they viewed the helots with distrust and and concern mm. it's interesting it it kind of all links into kind of a paranoia doesn't it like it, you it, see this it, with it other civilizations when when they're especially violent it's usually some sort of paranoia about something it it does um and what but because sparta had such a um such an intensity around the warfare and that only kind of was, they they had other troops and they were called um perioikoi and they were basically it, it, it translates to the dwellers around so these were people from the outlying settlements that would come and fight for sparta almost as um, allied auxiliary forces in a way. It's kind of ironic because Sparta's mar- martial um, obsession actually made her very uh, conservative with her people. They wouldn't, mm. just send, they wouldn't just send the Spartans out to go and fight any battle um, mm-hmm. because they didn't want them to die. But they didn't want them to die. They didn't want them to die out of any um, humanitarian welfare concern or anything they didn't want them to die because there was only a finite number of spartans you could have this <laughs> until, is, a new, this until is, a new generation was ready this is exactly was... what i was referring to about the human aspect as an economic aspect you know how many mm. humans can you throw at a problem can be very defining in in how these conflicts go and and we, yeah. when i mean when you started talking about that and previously sparta was definitely one of the examples that came to mind because well y- you can only you know you they are a finite resource, and in particularly mm-hmm. in the in the social political sphere of Greece, they were not the most populous either because of the terrain, because of the agricultural mm-hmm. aspects, and you know, depending on an external force such as you know their their slaves for something like that, it was just too risky. All it mm-hmm. took was um, a slight uprising, a bad crop, something like that, and that was it. Your entire yeah. society could just collapse, and and you were over. And, yep. and that was simply not an option in in Greece during this time. I guess they kind of saw it as a trade-off, though, potentially. I mean, the way they were structured, because, you know, potentially to, to you know, in, enforce their might on anyone else around them, they decided to have the, the hillots as the, as the slaves taking care of everything so they could get as much fighting force as possible out of their Spartans. Mm to focus just on that and get as many of them as they can. Um, and, and in a way, I don't know how Sparta in general in like population size compares to other city states around Greece, but if, if maybe if they were a bit smaller, which I think they maybe were compared to some others. They were kind um, of slightly, slightly smaller. Um, yeah, so maybe they tried to compensate by, you know, having each, you know, fighter, um, I don't know what, they might have said, but be you know one Spartan worth ten other Greeks. Yeah, and there was probably very similar. Yeah, there were probably very similar sayings to that. Um, and mm. Spartan and and, and a, a defining element of Sparta um, was this. Yeah, what was this idea that they were the ultimate fighters, um, mm. specifically those combat fighters? Mm. Uh, they they. I have also heard though the the idea that. You know, this this makes a lot of sense in that it was all kind of just a big scam, all a big lie, and they were just very good at kind of promoting themselves and marketing. And you know, I'm sure they, if they did, you know, 
train from however young an age and focus just on fighting i'm sure they were pretty good but there's only so good you can get um on an individual level that actually makes a difference in war so it was all kind of probably potentially just a big you know push yeah, of propaganda I, I, yeah, to basically can, make people fear you more yeah and and i can see that um i i can see a person i don't think it is um I don't think it is propaganda. Um, it's probably part of it, at least. It, it's probably some part of it. I mean, obviously, they, they weren't the sons of um, Ares or, or anything mm. or anything like that, and their their, their kings weren't descended um, from from the gods. But everyone used to claim all that anyway. Mm. Um, there's probably some elements where they were over they were overstating themselves, and they were. Um, it's probably more especially in later they, years. They probably. They yeah, they they probably weren't over they probably weren't overselling themselves but they were underestimating their opponents mm. uh, and that was probably that was probably their biggest their yeah. biggest downfall in, in the end of it i mean if you take the peloponnesian war for instance for those who mm. um aren't sure what what the what the war is it was about a 30 odd year war or so during the um between um between four four three two and about four oh four oh five four oh four um, and it's 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 normally seen between Athens and Sparta, but actually it was a, it was involving Athens and her Athenian Empire at the time, or her allies who who Athens owned, against effectively Sparta and the Pelopon and the Peloponnesian League, who um, were basically else. A, a, yeah, well, well there were there were the states of the Peloponnese in a e equal league who Sparta kind of had the overall say with so it wasn't really an empire mm. as far as such but they had head of hegemony over this over this league um and during this during this war a lot of a number of battles took took place and um it actually made people question just how good sparta was in, in fighting because they weren't doing mm. a lot um they they didn't go out actively looking for great big battles they preferred doing sieges at some points and mm. um well, they're, they're, Athens was terrified of, of of fighting Sparta on land because of their reputation and because of their military. Mm. But what it turned into was when the first time that Athens and Sparta actually did fight, Athens beat Sparta, mm -hmm. um, and they took over um, about three hundred of her uh, of, of Spartans as um, as a uh, as prisoners of war. And and this really. This really uh, hurt Sparta in her, in her PR image. Yeah. Because she was claiming, yep, let us, you know, they, they were taunting Athens. They were saying, come on, fight us in the field like like men. Come on, come on, fight us. Mm. We'll beat you. We'll, we'll end this war tomorrow. Um, if you just come and fight us, fight us now. And one time when they do actually fight Athens, they lose. So there, mm. probably, there probably is an element of, of, of myth in this. However, there's also another battle. Um, and uh, in it, the 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 best source we have for this period is Thucydides, and he's and he clearly says that after this battle, the Spartans um, made certain, and it was made clear not to question them in in war again. They just dominated <laughs> every army that came towards them. They they'd had right. enough. Yeah, they 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 drew their trump card. And they just went, no, we're gonna we're gonna beat the living crap out of you. Mm. And it, and Thucydides says, but after that battle, no one questioned uh, Sparta's 
Barter's element. So I don't think it was a question of their skill. I think it was their attitude to other states. Mm. Um, and, right. that, and that came about with the with their final battle, uh, the battle of um, of uh, uh, of uh, Lucaria against Thebes. Um, and this is in the fourth century. So this is after the war, um, where during the during the battle, the Spartans got absolutely dominated by Thebes, mm. um, and simply because whatever. For whatever reason, Sparta, um, it was, and it's quite pop, quite common with Greek armies at a time, was they were so they had a they had such a set way of doing things, mm. and Thebes adjusted themselves. So the sources right. say that there may be other reasons for it, but the sources basically says that Thebes actually made their their phalanx a lot deeper, so they had a greater okay. pushing power on one point, whereas the Spartans kept their standard line. Expecting Thebes to kind of do the same, but mm. Thebes made their ranks thicker, and so they had more pushing power, and that's how they broke the Spartan line. Um, and they and they beat the crap out of Sparta. Interesting. It, so yeah, um, it, it 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 is a Sparta is a is an example of when military obsession and and ideology uh, can well really make a, make a civilization rise and fall. Um, yeah. After that battle, Sparta was was no longer one of the main players in the Peloponnese, and they wouldn't they wouldn't come to be ever ever again. Um, hmm. They were still kind of renowned, but it was more of a it was more of a symbolical renown than it was. Yeah, it just was kind of a legacy. Else. Yeah, um, there's a great there's a great example where uh, Philip of Macedon has, was actually. Um, taking over Greece, this is the father of Alexander the Great, and they were taking over Greece, and yeah. they sent a letter to um, to Sparta, and it, the, 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 the letter was kind of a threat, and it was saying, if you don't surrender um, and accept Macedonian um, hegemony over the area, we are going to come to you, we are going to burn your crops, we're going to destroy your city, we're going to enslave your people, we're going to kill your men. And okay. Um, and they and they said, if we take your city, we will destroy you. And the Spartans replied with the word "if." Okay. Oh yeah, I think I've heard that one. Yeah, it's 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 very it's a very famous example. It's where we get the term laconic when when talking. You can be very laconic in your talking. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. it's very black and white. Um, so the Spartans <laughs> still had that reputation to them. Yeah. Um, and and the Macedonians didn't want to did didn't really want to get in get in. Uh, a, a, a lengthy fight with them or anything, um, yeah. But it, but it was more more reputation and it was actual substance. Yeah, okay. yeah. I guess later on it will be a shadow of its former self, kind of thing. Yeah, and it and it, and it was. Um, and then of course you had the rise of to to move on a bit more. Then you had the rise of Rome. And yeah. Rome and another incredibly militaristic society. Um, to be honest, very very um, America. Modern-day America is very reminiscent yeah. of Roman Roman ideology um, at the moment, particularly when it comes to its army. Yeah. But again, Rome was Rome, Roman uh, martial value and 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 views were because of their environment. Um, yeah. As, as it was, as, as you said earlier, it, it was because it wasn't just Rome that was very um, bellicose um, and and war-hungry. The whole of the whole of Italy was. They were very mm. violent, very very martial um, towns um, across the whole of Italy, and 
if any one of them could grab total power, they 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 would. Mm. Um, is is one thing we see in the early histories. Um, is that is that Italy Italy was almost constantly fighting each other, trying to get one up on the others, and and for one for one side to get this hegemony. In in a way, Rome was just lucky enough. Um, to start it was just the one that came out on top. Into, yeah, they were just the one that came out. They came out on top. Do, do we think it's just kind of interesting to think about how like Greece and and like Italy in general in these sort of periods, how they were so violent, and then when you look at like more northern parts of Europe, do we think it's just purely because of population density and and just more human friction? Climate uh, as as why. And, and climate, I guess, like how would that how would that affect things? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, when you say Northern Europe, you're talking about like northwestern, like France, Germany areas, or 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 more like yeah, Germany, or just yeah, yeah, Central Central Europe, whatnot. Yeah, I mean, there there are evidence and psychological studies and anthropological studies that do um, suggest that you know, in the very same way that the first big empires happened, funnily enough, around the Levant. Yeah. Um, some of the most quarreling and bellicose people to not just embrace that aspect of themselves, but almost perfect them and take it into a new level came also mm. from that area. I mean, you know, it's a lot easier to um, go around in a climate that is fairly moderate, covered in mm. armor and whatnot, and trying to, you know, beat each other up than in places where you have not a lot of light, which obviously is a fundamental aspect mm -hmm. in a battle. We all know what happens when you're still in the battlefield and it gets dark, you're, you're screwed, no matter how good you are. And it's the same, you know, for any other, for any other um, type of, of weather condition. Um, also for, for the sense of how the climate, particularly back then, would have affected your health. You know, all of these other side effects of, of things that could have had, again, a human impact into warfare. Sorry, I know I keep on bringing the human element well, of war I, I, into the I story quite a lot, but you know, in you could kind of say it's it's kind of just like some sort of Goldilocks zone, kind of for for yes. warfare happening. But Absolutely. on top of this, like we were mentioning earlier about how it's linked into civilization, exactly, and and the resources and They're all both of that. They're out in the same yeah. areas. Yeah, one hundred percent. I I think that it goes back to the previous aspect we were talking about the economical and resourcefulness point mm. of the story um but you know from the from the actual human element of it all on that mm. note um <laughs> i'm afraid that we are reaching the end of the time that we had to talk about oh, this no. today it just got started um, well well in a way we have just got started but um obviously um, i think now that we have covered how you know human warfare actually happens the, in the earliest form and and how we evolve Particularly as James has only just about started talking about Rome, you know he he already has plans on telling you everything. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. in the universe about Rome and war and that sort of stuff. So in a way, you could almost take this as an introduction for more stuff to come. But yes, mm. that's that's what we have time for today. Um, yeah, so I'm sure there's a lot more areas we could go into and in, in you know personally you know looking at kind of medieval periods and, and yes, how things 100%. changed then but and kind of the idea as well of um that I just wanted to briefly bring up like as we were saying about kind of this Goldilocks zone of of civilization appearing in the same place as warfare appearing and being so intense there might be some sort of link here you know that of um kind of warfare pushing forward human development in some places Oh, Obviously, it's a very destructive thing. 
but we can see throughout history of of you know technology improving and other things like that because of warfare like it, it becomes like a real big human motivator on a large scale it, um, it which does. is kind of weird and sad in a way obviously but well, it's quite, just, yeah, just it's, how it is yeah competition i guess is it kind of makes things happen but yeah yeah and and it's kind of ironic that a lot of our medical advancement um scientific advancements and medical advancements is out of is out of killing each other yeah um things that save lives have come out of a lot of death obviously yeah yeah Yeah. and a great example of that is the first world war i mean if you want to push for medicine uh you just need to go about you know not even just about 200 years now um Mm. and and you know from from the end of the 19th century onwards that's that's when things start developing but even just a more local more local in terms of uh, the period that we've covered examples of how warfare actually develops humanity and whatnot if you go to the opposite side of the globe and you just think of china and the mm-hmm. developments of chinese society you know during the qing and han dynasties and all of that it, they are very much linked to warfare and it's it's the same particularly in that part of the world with things yeah. like sanitation public health and things like that from that period onwards and all the way into the middle ages so you know it's um it's it's one of those things but alas that's um that's what we're, we're gonna leave it today we 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 are we saying that war is good is that what... no we're not saying <laughs> we're not saying no no we're not making we're not saying just like I was mentioning here. with you know the idea of civilization itself, you know everyone agrees civilization is a great thing, but does it maybe have these necessary bad sides to it of of like violence and class and and oppression and things like that it's It's the same with war, you know it's another bad thing, but there's always going to be some good some silver linings yes, here that, and there that's um, that's it, and um, yeah. this is also the reason why I am. This is exactly the reason why I am not a warfare historian, because as a historian, I like to see the epitome of mankind by good human intentions and development and, and yeah. input. And war always reminds me of, of why, why we came up with such wonderful things like, you know, modern medicine out of a need of actually just destroying the good things we were doing, which is the reason why certainly I can testify we're not saying war is good, or at least I'm definitely no. not saying that. So we're not saying war is good, but by by that standard you can't say people are good either. People well, are good or bad. People are people. People are people. Exactly. Things and happen war is and war. History goes on. Exactly. Well, there you go. That's a wrap for today. Uh thank you very much everyone for listening. I'm sorry if we left you in a massive cliffhanger and you wanted to hear more about war and humans, but um, I guess you're just going to have to tune in for the next one. Yeah. And therefore, then you can join James with his even bigger rant about his precious Roman army. There you go. (laughs) Brilliant. Look forward to it. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye.